We, hey, if you haven't been with us at Tri-Cities Church over the last year, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And uh, we are, that was John chapter 20, the rest of John chapter 20. We started it last week and are wrapping it up this week. Uh, next week we'll be in John chapter 21, which is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. Uh, we have journeyed fairly carefully through the Gospel of John. I think I told you all at the beginning, I, I did look and see what some other preachers that preached through the Gospel of John did with the Gospel of John. And I saw anywhere from a year in this Gospel to uh, some that spent four years in this gospel. And so that's why I say somewhat carefully we have walked through this gospel um, because if we really slowed it down, um, kind of like I want it to at times, we would have been here for four years. Um, but here we are in one year's time uh, here at the end of the gospel of John. And we're seeing Jesus appear um, in his resurrected body to his disciples and um, and we're invited into that space to celebrate the resurrection with them. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place. And God, we're thankful for, for space like this. Um, not because there's something unique or holy or even special about this space, your church has gathered in uh, rooms behind locked doors. Your church has gathered in homes. Your church has gathered in streets. Your church has and still gathers in some places in underground, hidden locations. Your church gathers. And God, we thank you for spaces like this, where as a church we can gather and read Scripture openly and publicly and we can listen for you, your voice and your leading to us through the scriptures. God, I pray now that you will open our ears, that you will open our hearts, that you will help us to hear your word freshly, and that we will accept the challenge that it lays upon our life, that we can actually live as people who have been transformed by the gospel. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, fear is a powerful emotion. It's a powerful emotion that sometimes seems to hijack our lives. I, I remember um, the first, at least one of my earliest memories of being afraid. I was, um, I was in the Boy Scouts. I was on one of my first camping trips with the Boy Scouts, and I grew up as a Cub Scout, uh, and, and I was uh, a Cub Scout from as young as you can be a Cub Scout, I guess, and, and I went on lots of camping trips. But when I was around 10 or 11, and I don't know the exact age, but when I was around 10 or 11, I went camping with the Boy Scouts. I don't think I was a Boy Scout yet. My brother was, and so I was probably just tagging along with him. And on every camping trip before this one, I slept in a tent with my father. And, and for some reason, because um, I, I think there's something special about uh, the father's presence, right? I felt protected. I felt secure. And even though it was dark and even though there was all kinds of sounds out in the night, I wasn't afraid because I was there with my father. But on this particular camping trip, I, I remember not being in the tent with my father, but rather being in a tent with my brother. 
and he's my older brother, though, so I still felt a little bit of security there with him. And, and I knew and I liked being there because I knew that my brother would look out for me. Like, I, I was the youngest one probably on this camping trip, and so I was teased a little bit and picked on, but I knew there was a limit because my brother was there, and, and he was bigger than, than me and most of the other guys. And so I, I felt fairly fairly confident. But that night, in the middle of the night, we're sleeping, and I began to hear some noises outside of the tent. Now, it is dark, and my eyes shoot wide open, and I am terrified. It just sounds like uh, you can hear the leaves rustling. You can hear a little bit of noise. And my mind, you know, the first thing my mind goes to is like a 10 or 11-year-old is bears. Like, I'm like, there's bears outside the tent, and they're coming to get me. And the, the noise seems to get closer, and I'm getting afraid, and I'm trying to, because I've already talked to myself and said, I'm going to be a big boy on this trip, and I'm not going to be a, a scared, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang with the big boys. And so I'm there, and the noise gets louder, and then whatever it was outside the tent begins to brush up against the tent. And I can kind of feel the sides of the tent shaking. And at this point, I've had, I'm like, either I, uh, I just act on my fear and wake my brother up, or, or I sit here and, and this is the end. Like, I'm, I'm thinking this may be the end. And so I shake my brother and I wake him up. And, and he wakes up kind of out of his sleep. And, and uh, I say, there's something outside of the tent. And he, he says, there's nothing outside of the tent. <laughs> And he just kind of rolls over and goes back to sleep. And so, and I'm laying there, eyes wide. I just could not close my eyes because the tent is moving and there's rustling outside the tent. And, and, and each moment, my imagination is magnifying the size of the thing that's outside of the tent. I don't even know what it is. I knew at this point it's not a squirrel. Uh, and I am terrified. And I shake my brother again. And I say, get up and go out there and do something. There's something outside of the tent. And, and he says again, no, you, you go out there and do something about it. And I said, in my um, um, preteen, high-pitched voice, I can't. I'm naked. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, I just hear laughter busting out outside of the tent. It was a prank. There were some older scouts that were playing this prank on me. Now, down to, down to kind of clear up my name, I don't typically sleep naked on camping trips in a tent with my brother. But I heard somewhere along the way, and I can't tell you where, but that our clothes absorb moisture out of the air, the humidity in the air. And so when you're camping and you're sleeping outside, you have these clothes that are slightly damp from the humidity in the air. And then when you get out in the cold and you're in the uh, you know there all night your cold, clothes get cold and it, it's it's uh, warmer to sleep in the nude so I got down in my sleeping bag took off my clothes and I was nice and toasty uh, and uh, I, I wonder if my brother remembers that story I don't know um, and the the most embarrassing point was that next morning we're sitting there we're we always had cheese grits and bacon and eggs and we're sitting there and, and food when you're camping is always the best we're sitting there eating and it's probably my favorite part of the trip eating and uh and and all of a sudden somebody goes I'm naked <laughs> and everybody just erupts and my meal is like ruined <laughs> ruined ruined um fear is a powerful it's a powerful emotion 
right? And it starts with this stressful stimulus that sets off this chain reaction in the brain. And the stimulus can be anything, right? It could be this idea that there's a bear outside this tent that's going to bust through and get you. It could be spiders. It could be snakes. It could be fear of the dark. It could be fear of heights. Fear, it starts with this stressful stimulus that sets off this chain reaction in the brain. And sometimes we magnify the size of it, right? We respond to that fear and we magnify this adrenaline is reached, uh, released in our body and these chemicals begin to build up and we find our heart beating faster and our, 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 um, our breathing getting heavier. We, we find ourselves in this place of fear um, and, and we feel the need to do something about it. And sometimes the responses that we've talked about in, in terms of uh, response to fear, we refer, we refer to it as flight, fight or flight, right? Some people decide to stay and to, uh, and to fight it out. Some people decide to turn and run. Me in that tent, I didn't know what I could do. I knew if I, if I opened that tent, I was going to be running. Um, and, and some people, and you, you probably heard these stories before, you hear these stories of somebody trapped under a car and somebody in the moment finds this extraordinary strength to lift it up off of someone or people who are able to respond to something quicker because of the adrenaline that's been released in their body in these situations. But for whatever reason, and I don't understand the whole uh, mechanics of it, the chemical nature of fear, but what we do know is that when we're afraid, when we encounter a stressful stimulus, whether we it's this idea that there's a bear that really isn't out there, um, or, or whether it's heights or whether it's snakes. Um, when we encounter that, our body begins to, to respond to it. Now, fear is also a useful emotion. It's a useful e- emotion. I mean, could you imagine, at least I can speak for myself, could you imagine the stupid things I would do if I was never afraid? My goodness, the things that fear has kept me from, it has saved my life. There are times that I think we don't give fear enough credit because it keeps especially young boys and Man, probably all of us. I'm not even going to throw that on young boys. It keeps some of us out of trouble. It keeps some of us alive. In fact, I think God has wired fear into our bodies in order to preserve the human race because we would be extinct if we did not have some fear to keep us in line. So fear is a, it's a useful emotion. It has a place in our lives. But often we lament fear, right, in our society because we're taught to be fearless. We're taught that we're not fully living the life that maybe God or the life that I want if I have fear because there's some things that I'm just not willing to do or just not able to do because fear seems to put up a roadblock. It seems to hinder me at every turn. And so in our society, we lament fear. We look at fear. We wish that we were more fear. We wish that we were more fearless. Now, when we read in the scriptures, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. Um, And there are some scriptures that we sometimes turn to that talk about, um, that paint fear in a negative light. Like scriptures like in Timothy where it says, God did not give you the spirit of fear, right? Y'all knew that scripture. Some of you some of you've heard that before. And it is one that's popular and it talks about fear not, the Bible often says. And there's times where people encounter the divine and encounter angels and the angels say to them, and one of the resurrection stories, I think it might be in Matthew or in Luke, the angels say to Mary, Fear not, do not be afraid. 
And so the scriptures are often challenging us not to be afraid. And so the question is, what does God expect of us as it relates to fear? Does God really expect for us to get rid of our fear and to eliminate it? Does he really expect us to live fearless lives and charge forward no matter what the obstacle, the risk, the hindrance might be? How does God expect us to relate to fear? Now, when we get into the Gospel of John chapter 20 and Jesus' encounter with the disciples, we see that the disciples are afraid. They're afraid because their association with Jesus might just get them crucified, and that's a realistic thing, right? Because the Romans were known for these mass crucifixions. It would not have been the first time because the Romans understood this principle that we've come to understand, that it only takes a spark to start a fire. And so when there are sparks like Jesus that begin starting these flames and fires of people that are gathering around him, these crowds, these movements that happen in a way that seems that they just kind of Uh, cropped up overnight, when these movements happen like this, that was a spark that started a fire, a wildfire that was spreading, and the Romans knew that they had to get control over every spark that just might start a fire. And so the Jews, all they had to do was convince the Roman Empire that these disciples were associated with Jesus and that this movement that Jesus began might just continue if they weren't crucified too. And so their lives were literally on the line. And this is just a couple of days after they saw what happened to Jesus. And fear is paralyzing them. Fear is not allowing them to move. You know, I've heard they've added another uh, word to the fight, flight, fight or flight. Um, there's fight, flight, or freeze. And that's really what's happening to the disciples. They're freezing and they're not able to move. They're locked behind closed doors because they have this absolutely rational fear that if they come out of that room, their lives might really be in danger. But there's another reality that we begin to see in this passage, and that's that if they stay in that room, it will be impossible for them to fulfill what God created them to do. It will be impossible for them to live out God's mission, to live the purpose-filled life that God created them for and what Jesus had been preparing them for this whole time. If they stayed behind locked doors, the whole thing, the whole three years they spent with Jesus, all that God had planned up until this moment will begin to crumble because of their fear, and their fear ultimately would become an obstacle for their faith, and they would be uh, choosing one over the other, and they would be choosing to live in fear and to forsake the plans and purposes of God. And so what we see in the scriptures, Jesus comes among them, and, and he simply says, peace be with you. Now, it, it, it may be our temptation when we see um, this scripture Um, to read something into that and say, well, Jesus says peace with you. He's telling you everything's going to be okay now. But for them, 
peace be with you was an ordinary greeting. I mean, that was just kind of the way you greeted each other. It's kind of like, uh, hello, or how are you doing today? The way we say, how are you doing? Or some Jews will still say shalom. Uh, They'll speak peace when they greet one another. Uh, So it was just an ordinary greeting in biblical times. So the disciples aren't reading much into that greeting. They're just hearing Jesus greeting them in that moment. Let's look at what it says. Um, John chapter 20, verse 19 is where we're picking up. It says, so when the evening on that day, the first day of the week, uh, so, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And then watch what happens here in verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his sides, his side, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And I, I, as I read this, I'm like, rejoice, I think, would be an understatement, right? I just imagine this room as Jesus is showing them the scars on his hands, and as they're recognizing that, uh, like, I almost wonder, like, why Jesus did that, because it's like, all right, y'all see my face. It's almost like he's going, this isn't my twin brother that you've never met, right? This is really me, right? This isn't some, uh, some robot that's come among you, that, like, robots are starting to look realistic, right? It, it, Jesus is going, it's not that, right? This is really me. This is Jesus, the one you saw beaten, the one you saw them spit on, the one you saw mocked, the one you saw the crown of thorns on my head, the one you saw them nailing the hammers and the nails, hammering, (laughs) hammering the nails into my hands. I'm that one, is what Jesus is saying. And I am alive to tell the story. Now, I imagine that room just erupts with joy. I mean, people are losing it all over the place. They're hugging Jesus. They're kissing. They're going, how did you do it? How is that? I mean, we saw this with our eyes. No one comes back from that. There's no possible way that you are alive. The room is just going wild in that very moment. And Jesus steps back in in an odd and slightly awkward way says the same thing again. It's almost like saying hello, and everybody's like hugging, kissing, yeah, hey, welcome, welcome, hey, oh, you're alive. Hello. Like, almost like it was like a robot or something, like, like, like this robot has only been programmed to say the same thing. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Like, peace, you know, it's like, it's like, they're going, what in the world is happening? Now, now, whenever something's repeated in Scripture, this is an important principle for us, whenever something's repeated in Scripture, that is a sign for us to slow down and pay attention because the biblical writers aren't repeating because they forgot what they said. And those who are speaking in Scripture, they're not speaking and saying the same thing again because they forgot what they said, right? They are saying it to make a point. They are saying it for the sake of emphasis. And so here Jesus says, peace be with you. They erupt with joy. Everybody's hugging him, kissing him. And they're, um, they're just celebrating together, slapping high five, doing all that. And when Jesus says, peace be with you, the second time, they're going, something's, something's going on here because Jesus is emphasizing something. And when we look back at this scripture and we see what's happening here, we see that Jesus is emphasizing the availability of peace. 
that peace is available to those who believe in Jesus Christ, that those who have now seen the resurrected body and are now believers, that God's peace is available to them. Now, this peace means a couple of different things, or at least it happens in a couple of different ways. What this means, where Jesus shows them the, the, uh, the nails and the prints in his hands and the spear on his side, he's showing them that the price has been paid for all of their wrongdoings, right? For all of their sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and Jesus now has died and come back from the dead. And so when he shows them his hands, he's saying the price has been paid. Your sin, like your wrongdoing, that separated you from a holy God, right? God is so holy that when we do anything wrong, that wrong separates us from him, so, so much so that we cannot come into his presence. Um, we cannot come into his presence without fear of his wrath and fear of his punishment. And so when Jesus shows them uh, his hands, he's saying, you are now at peace with God. You can now come into God's presence, as the Bible says in the New Testament, with confidence, right? With boldness. You can approach God with boldness, with confidence before him, because the price has been paid. You are now at peace with God. And not just any old God. You're at peace with a God that's fully good and a God that has now proved that he can raise the dead a God who's now proved that he's victorious over death, the greatest enemy known to man. And so what he's saying there is if God before you, right, you have no enemy. Now, if God before you, and when he kind of throws that hand out like that, he's going, and he is, right? He went to the cross for you. If God before you, and he is, the darkness of your life is not dark to God. If God before you, and he is, right, the hardship you're going through isn't too much for God. If God before you, and he is, the guilt that you feel in this life, it, it's merely guilt that's resting internally in your own head because God has covered all of your sins and all of your wrongdoing on the cross. And when he sees you, he sees his own righteousness. When he sees you, he sees his own perfection. So Jesus throws that hand out like this and says, it is finished. I have done it. You are at peace with God. And that God is on your side. As long as you believe and trust in that God, you are now on the winning side. Victoria, victory is now yours in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so I'm like reading the scripture and I'm going, man, as soon as Jesus throws out that hand, that word peace has a different meaning. Right? It means that the God who has conquered death is our God. We can make it personal. We can say that God is my God, y'all remember, and I, uh, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, y'all remember, I remember this, man, I'm telling bad stories about myself today, but I was short and chubby when I was a kid. Um, I didn't grow as fast as ever, my, my brother was tall, I didn't grow that fast, and so he, but he was tall, and we had a basketball goal in our yard, man, I'm airing all my, my um, I need to sit on somebody's sofa and talk about this, um, 
uh, he was tall, and we had a basketball goal in our yard, and so people would come over our house to play basketball. And y'all remember when you would pick people to be on teams? I was always always the last one to be picked to be on somebody's team because they knew <laughs> that I wasn't going to contribute uh, to, to winning. Um, and it's just like, but like uh, the reason I bring that up is like when we think about this, we say when God goes like boom and peace be with you and you believe in the resurrection, God is now on your team and victory is yours in Christ Jesus, right? It's, it's, um, it's already determined, right? There is no wondering how this thing is going to end, right? Victory is already yours because you're on Jesus' team. And so Jesus says to them, Uh, peace um, be with you. And then he said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. There's two things I want you to see in this passage. The first thing I want you to see here um, is that God's peace empowers us to live into God's purpose for our lives. That God's peace allows us to live into God's purpose for our lives. That's what we're seeing there in verse 21. It says, so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also sent you. Jesus isn't saying, peace be with you, now live with peace, right? Um, He's not separating. He never separates. Always God's peace is followed by some action that God has us for. God didn't just want us to live this Zen life, right? God doesn't want us to just chill, right? He, He wasn't like, he didn't want the story of Jesus' disciples to be, they're just so chill. Right? There's other ways of getting just so chill, right? Some legal, some illegal. Right? There's other ways of getting chill, right? Jesus wasn't concerned about the disciples just being a chill group of guys. That wasn't what he was concerned about. But he was concerned that they would live into the purpose he had for their lives, that they would live out his mission in this world, that they would charge out of that room with the peace of God, and they would tackle every hardship in their way, that they would encounter things with peace, they would encounter dark periods in their lives with peace, that they ultimately would die with the peace, and that the test that they went through would ultimately become their testimony of the God who is bigger than everything they would ever go through in this world. And so when he says, peace be with you, he doesn't doesn't stop there, right? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Don't sit and simply enjoy this peace because there's work for you to do. What we see in this passage is the peace of God empowers us to live into the purposes of God, that the peace of God is intended for a purpose. And if you remember, there's this little throwback into John chapter 17. I don't think it's on the slide. I'm going to flip back there. Uh, It's not on the slide, but John chapter 17, uh, verse, I think it's verse 18. Um, Verse 18, listen to what he said. And this was the prayer of Jesus when he was praying uh, for his disciples. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And uh, let's see, let's, let's flip back a couple of verses before that. In John chapter 17, verse 16, 15, listen to what Jesus prayed to God. This is before the cross, right? He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, 
but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he's, he's saying about his disciples, God, I'm not asking you, like, um, because this is possible. Um, it's possible that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this world, like, it could all just end right there, right? Like, Jesus could raise from the dead. He could ascend into heaven. I mean, it could happen the way the story um, is the way the story will happen. Um, uh, he could ascend into heaven, and like five minutes later, he could come back down and end this whole thing, right? And take those who believed with him. I mean, it, it could have happened that way. Um, it, it didn't happen that way because we're, you know, I don't know how many thousand years later, but, um, but it didn't happen that way, but it could have. And so uh, um, Jesus is going, no, like that's not the plan. The plan is for me to, to uh, raise from the dead, to go back to my Father in heaven, and for the work that I started here on earth to be continued through those I've been walking and doing life with. And fear is one of the greatest obstacles to that. Fear will always create an obstacle to doing what God created us to do. It's one of the, um, it's like the go-to tool of the enemy that wants us to stop. And, and it's also natural for us to have fear Right, to fear the unknown, to fear discomfort, to fear any kind of risk, to fear stepping out, to fear embarrassment. There's all kinds of fear, and as we fear those things, they will prevent us from doing what God created us to do. And so the Bible is challenging us to be overwhelmed with the peace of God. So the first thing I want you to see is that the peace of God empowers us to live into the purposes of God. Second thing, and this is important, the peace of God is a gift. It is received, not achieved, right? It's a gift. It is received. It's not achieved. If you read a little bit further in that same, um, the very next verse, I guess it is, um, where, where was I? In verse 20, let, let's see, I'll back up 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The peace of God is the product of God's spirit that dwells within us. The reason why the church is, is a community that's able to do things that don't seem to make sense, that's able to live through martyrdom, having their lives taken, seeing their loved ones lose their lives, and maintain their, their faith is because they had the peace of God within them. The reason why, as the saying is, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The reason why the church continues is because the peace of God was with them. When they went through hard times, God's peace kept them going. God did something miraculous. The peace of God is a miraculous kind of peace. God is not saying, peace be with you. And that's the kind of peace that you get from counting to 10, right? Hey, peace be with you. And, and that's the kind of peace you get from laying on somebody's massage sofa, getting the, the kinks rubbed out. That's not the kind of peace be with you. And I mean, some of us are, I mean, oh man, the kinds of things we turn to uh, for that peace. That's not the kind of peace, right? He's not saying peace be with you. And now you're just going to be, oh. right? This isn't a logical, rational, think your way, practice your way into peace. It's not achieved. It's received. It is the miracle of God. The kind of peace that God intends to exist with in the church is a miracle. And it took a miracle for the disciples 
to come out of that room. Because the same risk that drove them into that room, it didn't go away. Right? And in fact, they're all of them except for except for John are going to end up losing their life. In fact, their fears, their worst nightmares came true. And they came through all the while experiencing the joy of being able to live into the purposes of God. And all that's because they experienced God's peace. You see, the peace of God, it's received, it's not achieved. We can't work our way into it. We can't think, we can't read a book and achieve it. It's not something we can practice our way into. It's not something that meditation can accomplish. You can, you can do all these different things, all these different practices, but the peace of God will not come through any method that teaches us that we can rely on ourselves and not on God because the fundamental of our faith is that we need God to survive in order to do the things that God created us to do. It takes the work, the miracle of God. Now, the Bible does teach us in other places that this peace that we have in Jesus Christ, that there are things that we can do um, that distract us from the peace of God, God that is ours in Jesus Christ. It, it does teach us that we are responsible for making space in our lives for God's peace. And so for some of us, um, making space in our lives. Um, for some of us, it means disconnecting. And we've talked about this before. Disconnecting from whether it's um, the news. Disconnecting from that little device that's always around in our pockets that's bringing us. There, y'all know there was a day. There was a day that like at 4 o'clock in the morning, somebody would drive down the street and throw a newspaper in your yard. And that was the only time you read the news is when your dog brought you the newspaper and you sat outside and read the news. Right, y'all, y'all know that really, like that was a thing. Like a newspaper came in the yard, like news once a day. Golly. I don't know how they lived. That's a hard life, sacrifices, right? Um, but this 24-7 news cycle that we have where we're watching the news when we wake up, we're listening to the news in our car, we're checking it at our lunch break. Y'all, I don't know if anybody's like me, but my wife and I will go out to eat, and as soon as she, like, like gets up and goes to the restroom or something, that phone comes out, right? There's, like, news in the, in the bathroom breaks, right? There's news all over the place. We are being inundated with information that's coming from all over the place. And what's happening is the brokenness of our world is coming into our homes, not just into our homes, it's coming into our hearts. And if there's filled up there, there's not space for God's peace there. And so some of us, we got to disconnect so that we can experience God's peace, so that we can make space for God's peace, so that we don't find ourselves simply melting away with the hardships of this world and unable to see the peace of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. For other, others of us, and I think this isn't an either or, sometimes this is a both and, some of us need to change the way we think. In fact, there's a scripture in Philippians chapter 4. I love this passage. 
in Philippians chapter 4 that talks about the peace uh, of God. In Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension that you just won't understand will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, though. Finally, brethren, because that's not the end of what he had to say. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell, think on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you as you think on good things. The Bible's showing us that we got to make space for God's peace in our lives. If we are walking around with this um, stinking thinking, right? If we're always thinking negatively or thinking about uh, things that are not of God, if we're allowing lust to dwell in our hearts, if we're allowing negativity to dwell in our hearts, if we're thinking about things that do not represent and honor God, there's no space for God's peace there. And so the Bible is telling us that we are responsible for making peace in our hearts from God, for peace Space in our hearts for God's peace, because God's peace, um, it's received, it's not achieved, and God promises that he will put his peace there if we're, if we're turned to him and making space in our lives for it. If you go back to um, John chapter 20, um, the verse I read, it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is available to all who believe. God's Spirit has come and lived within and lives within all who believe. God's peace is available. We have to practice discipline so that we can make space for God's peace in our lives. And that's a challenge for all of us in this crazy world. At the end of this chapter, John turns to the importance of belief. Because there's this guy, Thomas, one of the 12. He wasn't in the room. I don't know where 12 was. Or 12. I don't know where Thomas was at the time. <laughs> yeah. He just probably called him 12. Where's 12? Uh, <laughs> I just made up his nickname, another nickname. Uh, Thomas wasn't in the room when Jesus came and stood among them. Maybe he was just like, that room's not secure enough. I got my own room. Because if y'all get caught, all 12 of y'all getting caught, one of y'all have towed somebody where we're hiding. 
And so Thomas was like, I'm on my own. I got my own secret closet. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm going to lock myself in it. I got four dead bolts. And so he wasn't in the room. Later, he was in the room, and he didn't believe. And the disciples are like, we've seen Jesus. He's like, uh-uh, we've seen Jesus. He's like, uh-uh, they're like, we've seen Jesus. And he's like, no, I'm not coming out. I'm not like, I, I will hang here with you all for a little bit. I'll go back to my own room. I'm not going out. And then Jesus comes and stands among him, and he asks them, he says, put Put your finger here. Feel where the nails pierced me. Put your other finger here. Feel where the, feel, feel where the spear, where they pierced me in, in the side. And the Bible says that Thomas saw, that he felt, and he believed. And then Jesus says this. This is verse 29, John chapter 20, verse 29. Uh, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, because you have seen me, have you believed Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. You see, Jesus is saying that blessed are those, and that's us, who have not seen the resurrected body with our own eyes, but yet come to a place of belief. We are blessed because now, as a result of that, we have the peace of, our, of God that was secured on the cross, the peace of God that is the gift of God's Spirit. We are blessed because we have the opportunity to live a different life but than those um, that, the, that John at least calls them of the world who don't have and experience the peace of God. We go through life differently with different hope, different joy, different motivation, different excitement because the peace of God is ours through the resurrection and our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the peace of God hinges on our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because our peace with God was secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, every Sunday we, um, we get to gather here in this space. Um, and we come around these four tables that are around the room where communion has been prepared. And as we come around those tables, we're reminded of the fact, not that Jesus died and was buried, but he actually rose from the dead. And we're able to come to these tables where we meet with God and we can lay some stuff down that's been getting in the way of God's peace. We can say to God, here and now, I give this to you because it's crushing me and it's too big for me to handle. Its weight wasn't intended to be held up by me. And we can come to these tables and we can make space for God's peace. And as we make space in our hearts for God's peace, we can walk out of these doors living a different life, living into a different reality where we're not consumed or controlled by fear, but we're following the one who conquered death on our behalf and has promised to give us his peace. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to go to these four tables, and we're going to share in communion, and I want to challenge you to whatever it is that's getting in the way of you experiencing God's peace, to leave it there with God. 
and allow his peace to consume you. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this time that we get to come into the room with Jesus and the 12, 11 disciples who gathered there. And God, I just pray that we will come to these tables and lay down whatever's in our life that's distracting us from your peace. God, help us to lay it down and find peace and joy and hope in you. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.